This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. It's a lifelong process where we learn and discover more of what the Father values, more of how He values us and how He desires to live in communion with us. To help, him to help us to know that we're made in his image, that we're designed for relationships, that he loves us so much that he would send his one and only son to live and to die for us. That changes the way we approach the things that we have, the resources that we've been given. In Matthew, Jesus' followers are called to make disciples, which includes baptizing them, but also teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. So Jesus, through his word and ministry, is giving his disciples in the scriptures, the values of the family, the laws of the family, the home economics. And by, uh, through his word, he's giving those to us. As we are disciples of Jesus, he's giving us those words as well. The word economic uh, comes from the word oikos, which is the word for household, and the word nomics, or nomos, which is the word for law, the laws of the household. As his children were called to obey, his laws, because we know the beauty of God's love. And so it's a joy for us to walk in obedience to God's kingdom values as he imparts them through his word and through his son, Jesus. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be thinking about how do we use our financial resources and all the resources we have to serve God as members of his family. How do we invest the resources we have for a kingdom return? As I mentioned, oikos uh, um, is the word for household. It's not really just a physical dwelling, though. It's not a building where people live, but it's rather an extended family in the Bible. It's a community of people. It's a group of people, usually related by blood. Sometimes they're related by the, uh, the area of work that they did. It could be their guild, um, but it could be, uh, it's not just a, a mom and dad and two kids. It's an extended family with grandparents and uncles and cousins. And as I said, sometimes the job that people did, if they were fishermen or if they were builders. And so their goal was to live together in community as this family, share their resources and share their life together and pass down the values of their insight from God to, from one generation to the next, right? And we value that too. We, we teach our children uh, the traditions that we value, uh, the songs that we love to sing, the things that we love to do, uh, the way of life. We pass that down to our children and they did the same thing. But what's interesting is that Jesus was actually rejected by his own family, his blood family. And so he created a new oikos in Capernaum with his disciples and with their families. You know, Jesus knew that people need to be in community, they need to be in relationship. And so he brought a group of people together and he began to teach them about the values of the kingdom. As I mentioned, nomics or nomos means law or custom. It refers to the laws of the oikos, the laws of the family, the values of the household. So when we're thinking about home economics, how we run our family, and then also as a community at Woodland, how do we run our family? What are the values that we have? What are the things that are important to us? Let's invest our resources into those things that are most valuable, right? Um, Vibrant community, intentional discipleship, authentic worship, joyful mission and earnest prayer. Those are the values of Woodland. We want to invest our resources, financial and otherwise, into those things because we believe that God honors God. So in today's text, there's this young man uh, who comes up to Jesus. He's known historically as the rich young ruler. That's a great thing to be. Wouldn't it be great to be a rich young ruler? 
Sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Well, he asked Jesus, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus challenges the man. He says, um, oh yeah, he challenges him to think about what is good. And he challenges him also to obey the commandments. And here the man says, well, I've done that. I've obeyed all the commandments. So this man thinks I'm a rich young ruler and I've actually obeyed all of the commandments. So I've done everything and I have everything and yet there's something that I lack. He admits that there's something that's missing. And so what does Jesus do? He says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Jesus tells him that he will have treasure in heaven and he invites him. He says, come and follow me. But what has happened? The rich young ruler goes away sad. Why, it says? Because he had great possessions. This is a story that you probably have read before. And there's a lot that we could say about what it says and what it means and how we could apply it to our lives. But I want to just focus on two things in this story uh, today. A surprising response by Jesus and a surprising non-response by Jesus. A response and a non-response. Something Jesus says, but something Jesus doesn't say. Let's look at that non-response first. When the man asks what he must do to inherit eternal life, Jesus does not respond negatively to his pursuit of eternal life. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you shouldn't be going after eternal life. So what is eternal life? One that just goes on and on and on without end? Is that what an eternal life is? No. In the Bible, eternal life is a term that describes the salvation that God gives, who he bestows upon those who he's in relationship with and those who serve him. While it does speak to the length of time that God's favor extends to his people, it also refers to a quality of existence that Jesus' family members have because they're in relationship with Jesus and God the Father. It expresses how deep the Father's love for us, eternal life. It's a powerful image that reveals this glorious existence that every person who's a follower of Jesus can have when they're in relationship with God. Now remember in John, when, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, remember that story? He says that those who trust in him will receive what? Eternal life. A spring of water welling up into eternal life. It's a picture of refreshment, of soul-satisfying nourishment that only Jesus can breathe. He, he describes this in John 17 in his prayer to the Father. He says, now this is eternal life that they may know you, God the Father, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's just a picture of relationship. That's what eternal life is all about. It's a flourishing life. It's a wonderful life. One author says, inheriting eternal life means we are flourishing as humans in every way. It's what we were created for. It's the good life. A relationship with Jesus is the good life. And as that contrast with what the world says a good life actually is. Some of us wonder, is it bad to live the good life? Is it somehow wrong for me to want to flourish, to be happy, to experience joy? Is it wrong for me to celebrate and to enjoy the gifts that God has given to me? Well, we learn from Jesus' non-response that it's not wrong 
to enjoy the good life. In fact, I know that Jesus wants us to enjoy eternal life, the good life. So what does that really mean? Well, the rich young ruler had what a lot of people want in life. He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. Now, I know the young people in the room don't want to be young. They want to be older, right? But all the old people in the room want to be younger. Oh, don't we? We don't know for sure how rich he was. And we don't know what he was doing to become rich, if it was an inheritance, if he had some great uh, job, or he was a merchant of some kind. But he's described in other Gospels as having many possessions. It means he had money. And he had the things that money can buy. With money comes the opportunity to do what? Make more money. You also have the resources to pay someone to do the things in life that you don't want to do. It gives you more time. If you, have time. if you have money, you have more time. And he was young. He had his whole life ahead of him. His opportunities were endless. And he could be whatever he wanted to be. The glory of being young. It's wasted. Youth is wasted on the young, is it not? He was a ruler. He had some kind of power, some kind of influence, some kind of significance in the community. He had what most people would want to have in this life. Youth, financial wealth, power. And yet here he comes to Jesus acknowledging that there's something that he lacks. Despite having all the things that everybody would want, there's something that he knows inherently he does not have. And he's looking to Jesus for the answers about why what he had was not sufficient to deal with the emptiness that he feels. Hmm. Isn't this the same with you and I? On the surface, we think that if I only had more influence, or if I only had more income, if I only had more opportunities, if I could just rewind 10 or 20 years to be as healthy as I was then, as I am now, if only I had those things, then I would really have it all. If, if only more people would come up to me and say, you know, I really like your idea. Well, you did a really good job on that, uh, that presentation. You hit your number this year, and I want, you to, I want you to know how great of a job that you're doing. Wow, you're looking better and better and better every single day. You've been working out. Wouldn't it be great if our friends just held us in a little bit of higher esteem? Wouldn't that be nice? Maybe it's just a few more compliments. Of course, we'll say, you know, money can't buy me love. But we sometimes fantasize about the comfort of a few thousand more dollars. Fix up the house. Take that trip. Take that trip with the family. Take that trip away from the family. <laughs> Some people are laughing more than others. <laughs> Upgrade the man cave. New kitchen, anyone. Right? What about more time? Would you like more time? Do you have too much to do? I, I heard that if uh, Americans were given another hour of time, what they would do is sleep because we have so much going on. Wouldn't it be great? Can we fall back again next Sunday as well? I would like to do that every Sunday is fall back every Sunday. Get an extra hour of sleep because we've got so much to do. There's so many things. If only I had more time. But thankfully, these people have invented great machines that have given us so much more time. Do you have a computer? 
Do you have a cell phone? Don't those things really save you a lot of time? Think about how little time we had 15 years ago, and now we have, because of our electronic devices and computers, we have so much more time to spend doing the things that we enjoy. Except for the fact that we're on our devices, not doing things that we enjoy. But we all know deep down that more time, more money, and more influence won't really satisfy us. Because for some of us, we're making more money than we've ever made in our entire lives. That's not the case for everybody. But it may be for you. Are you making more than you've ever made? Are you happier now than you were when you weren't making as much? Can you think of a time when you didn't really have two nickels to rub together? And you look back and go, oh, those were the good old days. We didn't have much, but life was simple. Now I have more money. I've got more complicated matters going on in my life. So we know. I mean, think about this. I mean, we have more time, or we have as much time as anyone else in history, because time is a certain resource. And it's funny, in America, we say time is limited, right? We, we only have so much time. Time is money. But in other cultures, they view time differently. All right? We've been to Honduras, and they're like, hey, just hang out. Come down for two weeks instead of one. Just sit around. If you want more time, just wait till tomorrow. There'll be more time then. It's our approach to time that makes it seem scarce. And so some ways, we're just like the rich young ruler. Uh, one time I heard uh, Jim Carrey, uh, the, the comedian, he said, I hope everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they've ever dreamed of so they can realize that it's not the answer a striking quote from a guy who earned $7 million 20 years ago for being in a movie called Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> but he's got something there, doesn't he? Where can we find the good life? Is it in riches? Is it in youth? Is it in power and influence? No. But where is it? It's in finding eternal life in the person of Jesus. So we're surprised by Jesus' non-response. But now we're surprised by Jesus' response. After hearing the man tell him he had kept the commandments, I love how it's put in the Gospel of Mark. It says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus loved this man enough to tell him and to show him what his problem really was. And then to give him the solution to say, come and follow me. Of course, we've read it before. But imagine what the rich young ruler is thinking about when he hears this. Give you my riches. Give you my youth. Give you my power. Give away my money and my influence along with it. Follow you and give you the rest of my time, the rest of my life. It's a shocking response but it penetrates the heart of what the man values. And we know that he walks away sad because he is unable to let go of his riches, of his youth, and of his power. See, the man is unable to see that he's, he's blinded by his influence and his affluence and his future. And Jesus is inviting him in to eternal life. The good life that's promised to all those who walk with Jesus. The abundant life that comes as we know the Savior. And as we give up this life, and we enter into eternal life. And Jesus knows that the man's possessions have possessed him. 
And the only way for him to experience eternal life is for him to give up those things that hold him back from the kingdom of God. He uses this example of the, the eye of the needle. I was in California a few years ago and uh, saw a, a magnificent artistic rendering uh, of this, this beautiful silver uh, camel. It was like 10 feet tall. It was just uh, gigantic. And there was a massive needle uh, with an with a eye of a needle, and the camel was just looking at the eye of the needle. I just thought, that's a wonderful picture that is shared with us in the gospel. And it was in a, a public place, and I thought, how many people walk by that and understand what the artist is saying or communicating? That for those who have much, who've been given much, whether it's material possessions, whether it's creative gifts, whether it's intellect or athletic ability, for those who are rich in these ways, it's hard for them to enter the kingdom of God. It's as hard as it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Many different people have interpreted this differently. But it's to say that's a hard thing to do because we are clinging to the things of this world. And so we don't experience the eternal life of Jesus. Now certainly, we, we might be believers and we're, and we're going to go to heaven because we have trusted in salvation in Christ. We know that it's not what we do that gets us into heaven. It's what Jesus has already done. But so for many of us, probably for all of us, a different place with different things, we're clinging to the security that money gives, the comfort that money gives, the control that money gives, the influence that money gives, and we're missing out on the kingdom. Yeah, we're going to get to heaven, but are we going to enjoy eternal life now in the kingdom here? Are we going to experience joy and satisfaction in all that God has given to us? Because we're clinging to some things that in a hundred years just won't be around. You think about our, our friends, our brothers and sisters on the list uh, today that we, we sang for all the saints to give glory and honor to them. They're with the Lord now. Are they, are they concerned about their car or their kitchen or their retirement account? No, they're with Jesus. And we know these are faithful. We know they love the Lord. Would they look back and say, man, if they could tell us anything about living in the kingdom, what would they tell us? I don't know. But maybe they would say, let go of this stuff and enter into eternal life. Give generously of yourself to people, to children, to the elderly, to the poor. Serve, rejoice, celebrate all that there is to celebrate. Turn off the TV, put your phone down. Go out in the beauty of God's creation. Invite someone with you and rejoice. Give generously to the God who's given generously to you. You see, Jesus is the one who's leading us into this way of life, into this life of discipleship. He says, come and follow me. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know every answer. But you follow him and walk in his way. You see, sometimes we forget that not only was Jesus Savior and Lord, but he knew more about everything than anyone. He knows more about money and its power and its uses than anyone else in the world. He's the best financial advisor that's ever existed. Inviting this man into a life of discipleship, this man could and would learn from the best. See, in reality, Jesus knows more about wealth than anyone who's ever lived. See, the word wealth is an old Middle English term which means well-being. God created a perfect world where everyone and everything experienced well-being. But this well-being was affected by sin. But God has been working to restore his world through the gospel, through salvation, for his people. 
through the work of his son. That's what salvation means. So true wealth is connected to salvation. And the only way we can access it is through Jesus Christ. If we want to be wealthy, we need to grow in our understanding of Jesus. I'm fond of saying sometimes my kids will be talking about somebody who's got a billion dollars. and like, he's rich. And I'm like, I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm a wealthy, wealthy man. Because I've got the Savior. And I've got my relationships. I've got the church. I've got an opportunity to serve and, and use my gifts and forgiveness. We're so wealthy. How do we use our wealth? That's the invitation that Jesus is giving to the rich young ruler, but he's unable to respond. He couldn't do it. What a tragedy. See, he could only see the things that were in front of him, and he missed an opportunity to really have it all. More than financial freedom, more than a life of leisure, more than anything, it's a life with Jesus. The same thing the other's disciples had found as they had left all their possessions, their nets, their tax collector booth, their influence, everything. They found this abundant life of wealth. So what will we do? How will you respond? What is God saying to you? In the novel, The Pearl, there's this poor native pearl diver named Kino. And he finds this amazing, beautiful pearl that when sold will allow his son, who's been bitten by a scorpion, to get treatment. But as the story goes along, even though his son has been healed apart from the treatment, Kino still believes selling the great pearl will be his chance to find life and significance. But many others know about this pearl, and they want to steal it, and they attack him and his wife. The pearl buyers in town collude together to fix the price so that he won't sell. Over and over again, the pearl gives him great trouble and difficulty, even though the promise of riches is so close. In the end, after his child is killed with a wake of shed blood in his path, Kino throws the pearl back into the ocean. The pearl's promises were lies. The promise of youth is a lie. The promise of power is a lie. The promise of earthly riches is a lie. See, Jesus knows that the rich young ruler of wealth and status can never deliver. They can never deliver. And so what Jesus says to him and to you is to say, follow him. Enter into this journey with him. Read his word. Reflect on his word. Give sacrificially of everything you have for the kingdom of God. Jesus gives us that same invitation. It's an invitation to just come and come and sit at his table. It's an invitation to true wealth, the good life, eternal life, where you can really have it all in Jesus. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that really reminds us of the kingdom, what it means to love and follow you, to honor you in our lives, to learn the values of the kingdom. I pray that God, we would serve you, follow you, and trust you. Give us courage to obey your commands. In Jesus' name. Have you ever been invited to a party and you say, what can I bring? And the person says, nothing. And you say, no, really, what can I bring? And the person says, no, nothing, I've got it. And you agree to bring nothing, but in the end you bring something. Because you just can't not bring something. Here's the deal, friends. Jesus is inviting you to this table 
and there's nothing you can bring except yourself. There's nothing that you have that's meaningful enough to get you an invitation to the table because the one who's inviting you to the table is inviting you freely with joy to pour out overflowing blessings upon you. And so when you come to this table, you're coming not because you're worthy or because you've done anything or because you've got anything, but because the Savior's looking at you and is saying, I want you to come and eat with me, to dine with me, to celebrate with me. And we're going to have a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice, but this meal is a foretaste of the great celebration that Jesus will have when he returns in glory and he sets up a huge feast and we are there partaking with brothers and sisters. Will the rich young ruler be there? I hope he had a change of heart. Will we come with nothing in response to this great invitation? My prayer is that as you come to this table, as you walk up or as we bring this meal to you, you'll be reminded of the great invitation that Jesus made. It's not because of any righteous thing that you could do, but because of his mercy. So if you're a baptized follower of Jesus, I invite you to partake of this meal today. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is given in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul reminds us that whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.